Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. We are continuing in our series called Standing on the Promises of God. And the of God part is the, the key thing for us to make sure of. Amen. We're not just standing on any kind of promise. Uh, It's not the promise of a man or a person, but these are the promises of God that we find in His Word. And so today, we finished last week with uh, Abraham and Isaac. We talked about protecting the promise and how it's part God, but part of it is on us as well to protect the promises of God. And today, we're going to look at the life of Noah. Noah from the book of Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bible, we're going to get right into it this morning. Would you stand with me and turn to Genesis chapter 6 as we read our text today? We'll begin reading at verse 5 from the New Living Translation. As you're turning there, I just want to remind you that um, these sermons are available in our sermon podcast on iTunes and on Spotify as well. Uh, the reason we do that is so that, I mean, these aren't, these, you're here for one moment, but we want you to hear the word. And sometimes revisiting a word, if it spoke to your heart, you can re-listen and revisit. Maybe you missed the whole section. Maybe you were serving in the kids or in a different ministry and you didn't get to do it or to hear the message. You can easily um, catch up and then re-listen as well. And so I just wanted to remind you, you can do that on iTunes and Spotify. But Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. If you're there, shout amen. 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 Here's what it says. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry He ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke His heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them, but Noah found favor with God. I'm going to say that again, verse 8. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupted, corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And here's the instruction, verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, 
I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. In verse 22, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, let it come alive in our hearts, I pray. And Father, I ask for your anointing on my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I might speak your word as you intend it to be communicated. And Lord, we ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I know that's a, a lot of information to read in one chapter. Some of you, maybe that's the most scripture reading you, you've done all week or you'll do this week. Uh, you can say amen or you could say ouch. Uh, but the Word of God is important. The Word of God is central. And I don't make apologies for reading too much text for your liking. Uh, what I will say is everything that's in this book is for us to read and to do our best to understand. And so this morning, with God's help, as we look at the life of Noah, there are a few things that I want to highlight. Some are going to be about God, and on the other hand, some are going to be about Noah. In this life, it's about you, and it's about your relationship with God. Obviously, there are a lot of other factors, but um, what's important is you check yourself. You know yourself, but here's a truth. God knows you better than you know yourself. And so this morning, uh, I want to talk about some qualities of God that you should take note of based on what we've read already today. Some qualities of God that you should take note of. Normally I have them on the screen, but today I don't think I put them in there. So if you have your note-taking device or your, your pen and, and notepad ready, get ready. So number one is that God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. In other words, whatever he wills, happens. Whatever he wills, happens. And in our text, he gives the command to build the ark. He's all-powerful. He gives the command to build the ark. Noah didn't have to listen. We're going to get to Noah in a second. But he gives the command. So it's telling us that God has a plan and he's up to something. And he's giving a specific command. And when God speaks, and knowing that he's all-powerful, then we have to ask, are we ready to listen? Are we ready to obey? And so he commands, he gives the command to build the ark. And what's fascinating, and what most concerns us in Genesis, is not so much all of the measurements and try to visualize and try to make sense of God's plan and measurements for the ark. Some people spend a lot of time digging into it and they were saying it was one cubit by six cubits and it was the right size so it would never tip. You can spend a lot of time in that. But I want to say what, was, what is most concerning to us in Genesis is not so much 
the dimensions of the ark and how it was built, or the cypress wood versus another kind of wood, but the purpose of the ark. The purpose of the ark is what is most concerning to us. The purpose of the ark was to keep things alive. Because everything else that was not going to be in the ark was going to be removed. And so the purpose of the ark was for keeping things alive. Keeping things alive. So God commanded, he's all powerful, but he's commanding Noah to build the ark. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. God's desire for your life is that you would cast off every weight of sin that would hold you down. He's all-powerful, but there are things that will keep us back from walking in the fullness of, of that knowledge. There are things that the devil will use in our lives that are going to hold us back. And we said this last week, not everything either is the devil. Some of the things are your own enticings, the things that you, is attractive to your own eyes and to your own flesh. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But we see that God is all-powerful, and His purpose is to keep things alive. Therefore, sin is going to slow me down and keep me back. So I need to cast it off and run the race so that I too might live. Can you say amen? We also see that God, being all-powerful, is the one who closes the door of the ark. It's fascinating to think, man, could you imagine if it was us in there and God himself was closing the door, sealing it for us so that we would be kept safe and kept alive? And so we see that again in 7.16. He closed the door of the ark. And then in chapter 7, verse 4, the flood came at his command. The flood came at his command. He said, seven days from now, I will, I will make the rains pour down on the earth. God is all-powerful. And this is a quality of God that we can't overlook, nor can we afford to forget. We can't afford to forget it. He is all-powerful. Number two, God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing. And we started in chapter 6, verse 5. He sees what we're up to. He sees the sin, whether it's secret or not, He sees it. He also sees Noah by contrast, by sharp contrast. We're going to get to Noah in a second, so I don't want to talk too much about him yet. But he's all-knowing. And listen, I've said this before, but I want to remind all of us in the room today, you can fool me easily. I mean, I'll take you at your word every single time. I'm that simple of a guy. If you say you're good, I'll just be like, amen, so-and-so is good. My wife says, but don't you see, don't you know? I'm like, I don't know. If people say they're good, I, I'm not that deep of, like, I can't read deep like that. Um, so I'll take you at your word. Maybe with our worship, we can fool God. Maybe even this morning, you were singing all the right things, lifting up your hands, saying, yes, I want more of God's presence. But really, your heart is, is far from God. Well, I just want to say, if that's you, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here still, because my prayer is you're in the grip of grace. God, is, God has got you, and, and you keep coming until this becomes your reality. 
Because, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes you don't always feel like worshiping. Sometimes you don't always feel like you want more of God. But I, I want to remind us all, God knows. And when he sees you still coming, trying, trying your best, God knows. And he sees. But in the context of where we're at in Noah's day, it's not a good report. What God sees is not something to, to be proud of, to applaud, or to be, to be proud of. What's actually happening is God is looking down. And so we're seeing in this part of, of the story a perspective that we don't often get. You and I see what we see here in this way, but God is allowing us to see what He sees this way. And as He's looking down, He's allowing us through chapter 6, where we started in verse 5, to, to almost hear his thoughts on the condition of this world. And I just want to revisit again some of those things. The Lord observed, verse 5, chapter 6 of Genesis, the extent of human wickedness on the earth. So God sees. He knows, but he also sees. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined the things that they could conceive in their mind was consistently and totally evil. Today, God is looking at you and He's looking at me. And everything that you could fool me with and we can fool one another with, God is not fooled. He's not a, a man that He could be mocked. And so God looks, and I want you to catch not just the fact that, uh oh, God knows, but I want you to hear his heartbeat in all of it. Because just having knowledge, some of us like that. You like the skinny on so and so and such and such, the gossip of this and of that. You like to be in the know. But I want you to know that God knows, but it's not for this, this thing of, haha, see, I knew deep down they were evil. I knew deep down they were greedy. I, that's not how God is. God's heart is broken, my friend. God's heart is sad. And he's not happy. He's not saying, see, <laughs> I knew that you need me. No, God doesn't have a complex like that. No, God looks down and his heart is broken. Look at what it says, verse 6. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. Look, it broke his heart. It broke his heart. So, so don't just think of, oh, God's all-knowing and I'm afraid. I want you to catch this part. It broke his heart. And so if you feel disconnected from your heavenly Father today, I want you to know this. Number one, we're glad you're here, but I think God is way more glad you're in his house today. Because seeing, seeing you far off breaks his heart. Maybe you're in here and you go through the motions, but you're in a backslidden state, meaning you once had a relationship with God, but today you're cold and you're far from that. I want you to know God is here for you. I want you to know God, is, God knows where you're at. And His knowledge of that is not for judgment, but it's for redemption. His heart is for redemption. And we're going to see through this story how God uses one righteous man and his family to redeem God's creation. And so God is, number one, all-powerful. Number two, he's all-knowing. And by the way, in creation, 
Genesis 1 and 2, if you read through it, what God creates is good. It's good. And God said, he goes, this is good. And, and it says then the next day, that, that concluded each day of his creation. He said, it is good. And you know what messed everything up? Sin. Sin is what messed everything up. The devil tricked Adam and Eve into thinking, oh, if, no, you need to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? So that you will have wisdom and you will know and you will have knowledge of good and evil. And, and Eve was convinced. She took the fruit. She gave it to Adam. They both sinned. But here's the thing. What man thought would make them wise actually made them bent towards sin. And it flows from generation to generation to you and I today. That we are born with a sinful nature because of Adam and Eve. This is what the Word teaches us. It's not my own doctrine, don't worry. This is what the Word says. But I want you to note the difference. The way of God is good. The way of man leads to death. And that's, that's important to catch. And so it wasn't until then, God said everything's good. But now when He's looking out, we cannot do good on our own. Because every time, and it even happens after, by the way, because the Bible records that Noah's son sinned. And so even after God purified his creation again and gave it a fresh start, it's like there was this natural bend to sin. And I want you to know that there's only one remedy. And I'm so thankful that God, in his goodness and in his love, sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because we don't have to struggle with sin anymore. We don't have to grapple with the same things that always uh, hinder us and slow us down like we read from Hebrews already. We can cast it off because Jesus already paid the price for our sin. I'm no longer a slave to my sin because Jesus died to set me free and he died to set you free. Can you say amen, church? Come on, this is the gift of God. This is the gift of God for you and for me. So he's all-powerful, but he's all-knowing as well. He's all-knowing but he loves you and his heart breaks for you. And so number three about God and his wonderful qualities is he is love. He is love. The Bible says God is love. And that's why it breaks his heart when his creation, as good as it was, has now been marred. I want you to know that God in his love for your life, for you, can take the broken, fragmented pieces of your life and he could mend them together. He can take the mess and turn it into a masterpiece. This is who God is. And, and he is love. And I want you to know, I don't know what you've heard all the other days of your life, but you're here in this room today. Maybe they'll listen one day on the podcast. God is love. And his love is so great that he sent his son for you. And this is the important thing. We forget, maybe some of us have grown up in church you forget that God still loves you. Return to your first love, the Bible reminds us about in Revelation. Return to your first love. What does that mean? The passion. The passion. When we were newly saved, I grew up in church, so it's almost hard to, to remember that, that moment where I really became serious with God. But I remember, I accepted the Lord at age four with my father 
at lunchtime over a bowl of chicken noodle soup, Lipton, by the way. So I don't know if there's something special about that brand. Or, no, just kidding. But I remember, but I was about 15, 16 years old when God became real in my own life. And I knew that, like, like God, I, I'm giving you my life. And yes, there were ups and downs. There are high school experiences that I regret and all of those kinds of things that are a part of growing up and learning in life. But I stand today as a recipient of God's love. And here's one of the greatest things we can do with God's love. We share it and we give it away to others. This is what we need to do. Guys, Easter is approaching. Next week's message is, is, is going to be simply a reminder of what we've been called to do as the church. But Easter's coming in a couple of weeks. I say a couple because it's literally about six weeks away. Uh, April 21st is, is Resurrection Sunday. And I'm, I'm reminding us now, we need to in, be inviting people and bringing them to church. Not just that weekend. That will be a, an emphasis on obviously the work of the cross. But I want you to know that we need to be in the habit of bringing people to church about bringing people, and by the way, I, this is a service, but you are the church. Don't forget that. So bring people to church. I mean, you could bring them physically here as we gather, but wherever you go, you need to be engaging in a specific way. The same love that we've been recipients of, we need to share with others. Amen. Amen. I'll amen it. He is love. And if I'm a recipient... I have to make sure that I give it away to others because they need to know this love that I have. And then we get to verse 8 of chapter 6. So God is looking down. We have this scene from heaven, this picture from heaven. And he's saying, my heart's breaking for, for the condition of the world and how they are totally and consistently evil. But then we find verse 8. But Noah. But Noah found favor with the Lord. But Noah found favor with the Lord. My prayer for you is that when you read this verse, you're able to switch it and put your name where Noah's name is. But it doesn't come easy or easily. You know how it comes? By living right. Yes, there's the work of the cross, and we are not under the law. We're under grace. Jesus, by the way, didn't come to abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. And so we are under grace, but grace isn't a license to sin. Grace empowers us to live right. And so we have to make sure that our walk lines up with our talk. Could you imagine if you're here, you hear me preaching every Sunday, but, but from Monday to Saturday, if you were to see me in public, you're like, that's the pastor. He just told off the waiter and threw the water at them. Didn't leave a tip. Could you imagine? No, no, no. We have to be able to walk the talk. And so that's why it's not easy. It's not easy. I said I was feeling under the weather all week. Every phone call I took this week, I pray I, pray I spoke to you with love and with truth and grace. But I, I, honestly, my head was like, like throbbing and pounding this morning. I shared this when we opened the service. Maybe some of you were. I was like, 
when I'm like this, I almost don't even have a filter. And I, I might say things I might regret. I'm just very blunt and straight. There's not much uh, salt uh, seasoning in my speech when I feel under the weather. But I said, you know what? With God's help, I'm going to be able to preach. And I'm going to do it with love, but with God's authority that he's given to me. But the reality is it's not always easy. It's not always easy. But when I look at Noah, you know what I see? I see that. I mean, just think, you think, well, pastor, my workplace is really hard. If you were around these people, you heard them talk the way they talk or what they say they did this past weekend, and it's not easy. Do you think Noah had it easy? When we just heard the conversation or God's thoughts on the condition and the state of the world, but Noah found favor with the Lord. And it, it also tells us that he walked with God. He walked closely with God. I remember my mom, when, uh, when I was younger, she would always sing, And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells... I'm not going to sing because I'm under the weather. Um, but some of you know it. I could see you like nodding. You're like, Pastor John knows some hymns. I, I know them all, and I could play them on the piano and the drums. But I grew up on hymns. But here's the thing, Noah walked with God, which says something about him compared to everyone else who was doing evil. Um, something interesting that I found in reading through Genesis, in chapter 5, anyone ever heard of Enoch? Let me just see your hand, right? Just a few verses on Enoch, but, but very interesting because um, Enoch never died. There are only two people in all of Scripture with the exception of Christ who died and then rose, right? There's Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God, and then he disappeared. He was no more on the earth, so God took him. He didn't die. He just was caught up. And then Elijah, the prophet, never died. He was caught up. And so um, interesting about Enoch is that he walked with God, and, and he hasn't tasted death. Just an interesting little piece of information. You want to live a long life? Just honor God. Walk close to Him. Noah walked with God. The end of Noah's life, by the way, um, he had a vineyard. And the Bible says that he got drunk. And his sons actually saw him naked. There's a parallel to the nakedness of Adam and Eve after their sin. Um, the difference, interesting, between Enoch and Noah... Enoch never he says he walked with God and then he was no more. But for Noah, it says he walked with God, but he died. But it also talks about the, the drunkenness at the end of his life. I'm not trying to draw some conclusions to any of that. Maybe this is me being under the weather. But I thought that it was interesting. Enoch, it just says he walked with God and he was caught up. Noah walked with God, but at the end he got drunk and, and he sinned in that way. But then he died. He faced actual death. I don't know. I'm not making a theology of, of living forevermore and being immortal in that way. But just interesting. When you get into the nitty-gritties of Scripture, you find these little things that are interesting. And you, one day I'm going to ask God about Enoch and then about Noah and the difference. Why didn't Noah live or, and then be caught up? But why did Enoch live and not die? Um, just interesting. Okay, I'll move on. Let's get into Noah this morning. Noah, three qualities 
that God takes notice of Noah. So the first part was us noting qualities of God. But now there are qualities that God takes note of Noah. Number one is he's righteous. Righteous. Verses 8 and 9. We already read verse 8. But Noah found favor with the Lord. But verse 9 says that Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. We can't depend upon other people for our walk with God. And we can't blame people for our walk with God. You can't blame the pastor for your walk with God, whether it's successful, whether it's good, or whether it's suffering. You can't. God has given you everything to know His heart, to know His plan for your life, to know that it's good. He's given us everything. He's given us His Holy Spirit that points us to all truth. He's given us everything that we need to know Him and to walk with Him. But you can't blame anyone but yourself if, if you're not happy with how that's looking right now. It's, it comes at a cost, and it comes at the cost of choosing, this is what I'm going to do. And I know we've, we've gone back on this point the last few weeks. I just feel that God wants us to hear it. And to not just hear it, but, but to actually put it into action and application for our lives. Noah was righteous, and it caught God's attention. He's looking, he's seeing evil all around, but there's this one little beacon of hope called Noah, and it's, it's like bling, 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 as he's looking out over all creation, and he sees that Noah is a righteous man. Number two, the second quality that God takes notice of is his obedience. His obedience. Noah obeyed God. Chapter 6, verse 22 is the end of our reading together. It says, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded. And then it repeats again in chapter 7, verse 5, after more instruction, so Noah did everything as the Lord commanded. And so the second thing is obedience. God takes note of your obedience. The Bible tells us that if you are faithful with little, God will entrust you with much. So that's promotion in the kingdom. Now here's a little secret. Promotion at work is very different than promotion with God and in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you why. At work, you, yes, maybe more responsibility, but you're thinking dollar signs, right? You're thinking dollars. Promotion, yes, more money. And then you start dreaming a bit with your family or maybe personally about what you want to do with it and what you could do with it. But on the other hand, when we get to, to the kingdom of God, I mean, God blesses us, don't get me wrong, beyond measure, absolutely. He looks after every need and then some. But here's the thing. Promotion in the kingdom of God equals responsibility, more responsibility, not necessarily more dollars. More blessing, absolutely, but more responsibility. And Noah, as hard as it was to live in that context, his family was good. I'm sure they were 
you know, doing what, the, doing what they did, staying away from evil, enjoying a pretty uh, okay existence. And then here comes God dropping a bomb on Noah saying, I need you to build this ark. And it's not a suggestion, it's a command. I need you to build this ark. These are the measurements. This is the kind of wood you're going to use. And get ready because I'm going to send floods. Could you imagine what people around Noah would have started to say about him? If you could put yourself in that environment, does, like, what's my neighbor doing? What in the world? Is this guy out to lunch? What is all this wood for? Is he building a, an extension to his home? No, there's way too much wood for that. Why is he using cypress wood? Why are they the, the, the pieces of wood so long? You could just put yourself in those shoes, and obeying is hard. Oh, being obedient to those kind of things is not easy. And yet, yet, not only was Noah righteous, but he chose to obey. He chose to obey, which in that moment required him to do the harder thing. The easier thing may have been just to say, God, look, there are other people. God, you could use so-and-so. Can't you find anyone else that's righteous? Seriously, it's just me. It's only me. He could have said all of those things, but Scripture records it twice for our emphasis and understanding. Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. I want to remind you today that when God gives you something to do I mean you have choices to make you can question it you can question what and why and how you can do those things or you could just in obedience say God I'll do what you've asked me to do even when I don't understand it God I'll do what you ask me to do even when it doesn't make sense God I will obey even when the culture all around me my neighbors my friends are gonna laugh and point and mock and, and call me names and say and put these labels now on not just me but my family as we endeavor to be obedient to what you've asked us to do. Like, like when you start thinking about Noah's context, you start understanding that this probably wasn't an easy thing to just get up and do. And it, let's talk about time. How long did it take? It's not necessarily recorded in Scripture. But people estimate about 75 years it would have taken him. And maybe that's a, a bit much because it could have maybe been done a bit quicker. But about 75 years that it would have taken. So it's not just like, hey, let's hurry up. Let's do this in a week because, uh, you know, I, I'm tired of all these people making fun of us. This was a process. This was a process that took a long time. By the way, they lived a long time then too, so it's not like our day and age today. Um, and so this is Noah in his obedience, and it's a quality that God takes note of. And then the third quality is commitment. Commitment. We've talked about the, the, the time it could have taken him to build it. And imagine not having the tools that we have today or the machinery to move all this stuff like we have today. But Noah was committed. How do we know? Well, he built the ark. He did it. They got in the ark. Now, also, there's the, there are the animals. I don't know if you're an animal lover or not. 
I don't need to see a show of hands, but I could just imagine the context of sitting in a boat with my family, with all of these animals. The, the supernatural thing is God brought the animals to him. Because how would you rally up wild animals, uh, birds, and all of this thing? But God, remember, he's all-powerful. He reigns supreme, brought these animals. But Noah was committed, as stinky as it could get. Noah and his family were committed. And here's the beautiful thing about commitment that I don't want you to miss. In 2 Chronicles 69, it tells us that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. And why does God do that? Because He's looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Amen. So is your heart fully committed to God? Because He just might ask you to do something. And the question is, will you obey? If you're fully committed, you will obey. And God can count on you. As a church, this is our heart's desire, is that is that we will be a church that is fully committed to being the church that God wants us to be. It's a church that reaches up and reaches out. This is important. It's our, our reaching heaven. The presence of God is evident in our lives and in our gathering, but it's also in how we live and how we affect the world around us. And in fact, those, that's why we have this bar of the cross and we have this one. Because one reaches up, but one has to reach out. And this is what God has done for us. But commitment, the eyes of the Lord search the world. They're, he's looking. He's looking. And He's there to strengthen you when you fully commit your heart to God. He's there to strengthen you. We can sum up Noah's story like this. Noah had faith in a God he had never seen and trusted him for something that hadn't happened yet. Noah had faith in a God he had never seen, and trusted him for something that hadn't happened yet. As we close this morning, I have to draw a parallel to the New Testament, to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to 39 says this, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. I'm here to remind you, friend, church, that our time on this earth is numbered. Our days are numbered. That the, There's a time coming when God's going to say, okay, and the church is going to be caught up. My prayer is that we're ready for that moment and that opportunity. If you, you don't have to study too hard to look around. Just like we read Genesis 6, God was looking around and he saw the condition of the world. I'm not the, the smartest guy. I don't even read the news all that often because it, it's quite depressing. But you can easily get your pulse on what's, what, what, where we're at just by listening, reading some headlines, 
check 680 News app. Like I just scroll like one scroll and I, I've had enough already to know. And I'm here to remind you that there's an urgency in this hour that we're living in. That we talked about church membership. We're not here to play church. We're not here to, to be a pretty church. That everything is always going to be clean. Because when the lost are getting saved, th these are messed up, broken people who are coming to encounter the perfect love of God. So we have to be willing to receive people as they are with the understanding that God doesn't want them to stay where they are. And He's going to transform them from the inside out. It's a place where people need to be able to belong before they believe and before they behave. Oftentimes, and I said this at least once before, we often get it the reverse sense. We want people to behave in this place. And then we want them to feel like they, they, they believe like us before they belong. But I want to say that it's important that people can belong before they believe and before they even behave. Because once Jesus is on the inside, I'm telling you, then everything else will start to, to transform in their lives. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.